Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad you are worshiping with us today. And we are in the middle of a series that we are calling Reconstruction. And somebody asked me, who'd been part of this the last couple of weeks, asked me, he's like, as you're kind of talking about these different theological ideas, is this kind of like you're telling us all like kind of the essential things every Christian should believe? And like, while all of these things we've been talking about are essential truths I think every Christian should believe, it's really not, it's not really a theological study. It's really more birthed out of this idea that there are people who, for whatever reason, some experience with the church or something that happens in their life, they kind of have a, a faith breakdown. And, and if at some point in your faith breakdown, you're kind of left with nothing, how do, how do we rebuild? And I've actually had conversations like this with people, just kind of like, hey, Seems to me, you know, they're, they're just telling me this journey that they've been on and how they just like, they're not even sure what they believe anymore. And we've kind of had these conversations just like we've been doing this sermon series and started with this very first principle that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That I think the most important thing that you need to understand is that God is good and he loves you. God is good and he loves you. And, 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 if, you, and if you start right there, and again, these first couple of things we've been talking about, including this, these aren't particularly controversial. I mean, obviously, the fact that God, is, that God exists might be controversial for an atheist, right? And if there's an atheist and wants to talk, and I'm more than happy to talk about the, uh, the, the, the insufficiency, uh, both logically and scientifically, about that particular worldview. But my, most atheists aren't going to wander into here. And if you are here and you're there, I mean, you probably at least are starting to ask some questions. But it's not particularly controversial, this idea that God loves you and is good. But I think we can forget, and I think it is an important place to start, that there is, there is a God and he looks upon you with favor. He created you and his image and, and, and he wants relationship with you. But then you look around and you're like, man, I don't, this is, you know, there's plenty of, you walk out the door, there's plenty of evidence that something's not right. That doesn't seem like a good God would have created this particular world that we live in. And the second one, I think, is also not particularly controversial. It might have been a while back. I don't think it's controversial anymore. First to say, in the way that we said it last week, was that, is that we broke the world. Why is the world broken? We broke it. The Bible refers to this and calls this sin. It is our decisions that we make. That's what's made the world a bad place. We are doing damage to our planet. We are doing damage to one another. We're doing damage to ourselves. And the more we do, the more this just kind of brokenness and death just kind of multiplies in the world. We may disagree about kind of what the primary source of that is, where there's this part of us who want to say they did it and, and, like, and kind of what the worst categories are. We may disagree on some of that. But the fact that we live in a very broken world that is a result of what people have done, again, what the Bible calls sin, I think we can all be in agreement on that. And as just a quick side note, we talk about sin, you know, kind of doing damage to the world, doing damage to each other. I want us to make sure that I want you to make sure that you put into the category the damage that you do to yourself. Because I believe I've heard this before, sometimes in controversial, I mean, just all sorts of different ways, right? That if, if, if it's just me, if it's only affecting, if no one's getting hurt, then it's not bad. 
you doing things that are bad for you, even if nobody else gets hurt. That is damage that is being done against someone that God loves and someone who's created in the very image of God. And it, it matters. It should matter to you, but it matters big picture. And so if all we were going to say over this series is that there is a good God and we broke the world, wouldn't be particularly controversial. But if today we're going to kind of take that next step, it's like, well, obviously if this situation, what are we supposed to do about it? So now we're going to talk about like really what are the consequences, the real consequences of what we've done and what the solution is. It has a potential now to get a little more controversial. And I don't have to get theological to communicate to you that talking about consequences and how to how to you know and how to make things better. I don't have to talk be theological to prove to you this is controversial because we can't even agree about how we're supposed to parent kids, right? Like, what are the consequences? Your kid does something wrong. What are the consequences? What are you supposed to do about it? Now, if I wanted to get controversial, some people are like, "Man, I wish you." Sometimes I wish you give more hot takes, right? You kind of comes. Like, if I started talking about parenting styles, dude, it would, it would like you would remember that. Because let's just be honest, you think about the whole spectrum of parenting that's going out there. I mean, it's some pretty broad thing. There's some people out there, I'm like, it's like, like Lord of the Flies, right? I mean, just kids running amok, doing whatever they want. And you, we, we give different names to it. It's like, man, these kids can do whatever they want, don't really care. They can say whatever, just kind of, and like, okay. And then on the other end, some of you guys, and this, this may not be the most relevant reference I've ever made in my life. Some of you guys are like Sound of Music. And I don't know if you know that song, like the, the, the dad there before, um, you know, guitar playing, Julie Andrews comes in there. He had a whistle. He had like a, like a military whistle. And the kid, that's some of y'all, right? That's some of y'all. Some of y'all sounds like that. And some of y'all are getting a little nervous already. And did he just say I'm Lord of the Flies? I know he's talking. He's talking about me. And like, you're ready to, you're ready to, you're ready to fight me. Because we're not, we don't know, like, what is appropriate do, is, is it my response to just redirect? Is it my responsibility to just kind of let natural consequences happen? Is it my responsibility to discipline? Or in discipline, is it my responsibility to punish? We're, we're not even clear on that when it comes to being parenting. And if we want to level up the controversy of it, um, we're not particularly clear as a society about what the appropriate role for police is in our society. And what the actual function of a prison should be. And what the appropriate sentencing, like what is the purpose of sentencing in a crime? We don't have any alignment around that. If we spent some time talking about that, that would be infinitely more. And we'd be plenty controversial too. Because there's something in us that rejects, rebels, gets unsettled by the idea of consequence punishment, that what you did is wrong, capital W, and is a problem. And, 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 and so again, you level it up. Now we're talking about God. What are the consequences for what you've done? What has God determined to how he is he going to respond to someone who has committed these sins, who has done damage in their relationship with him, done damage to other people that, that are incredibly valuable to him, damage to the creation, this incredible gift that he gave us. Because now that's even more personal. That's not about your attitude. That's about how God is, looks at you. 
And what are, what are the expectations? What are the consequences? Like, what does this say about me and what does this say about God? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk, we're trying to answer these couple of questions. Like, what, what are, like, what is the, like, what are the consequences and what is the solution? So we'll start here where we're going to end, which is the very clear idea. Like, whatever the consequences are, whatever the problem is, I need you to know that Jesus is the answer. And so we put these three principles together. God is good. We have broken the world. And the solution to that problem, to the problems that exist out there, are found in the person of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is like we have the last couple of weeks, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to continue in the creation story because we've been kind of looking at kind of how these principles unfold. And if, you, if you're paying attention, you're thinking, bro, how are you going to get Jesus out of the creation story? That's like, that's like a long time before, right? How are you, you going to do that? Like, I'm to, just be prepared to be dazzled uh, by the creativity. All right, so where we were, Creation, God is good, created this awesome place, gave it to us as a gift, you're created in his image. But they made a decision to rebel against this one boundary that God put on them, to protect them from something. Like, don't do this and you will live a great life. But they chose to doubt God and to allow um, their, their, their own flawed thinking to kind of make them step outside of God's boundary. And then... Eve takes a bite, hands it to her husband, Adam, who was right there with it. She takes a bite. And now we end up right here, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the, tr- from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate and then what's going to happen after that, and we're not, you know, we're not going to read all of this, is that, that, that God begins to dole out very specific punishments to the different people involved, to, to, to Adam specifically around that, that the toil of work is about to multiply. For Eve specifically, that, that the pain in childbirth is going to be multiplied. And then for the serpent who, you know, you know we come to find out later is, was, was Satan um, it, it describes this enmity and this fight, this battle that's going to happen between man and him. And um, we got all these punishments, very specific punishments that are laid out. But then it ends with this in verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And so they, they ate the apple and they decided, and again, the reasoning that they had, that the, they were talking with the serpent, hey, it looks good, it's probably going to be good, and there's going to be some positive things, there's going to be some new knowledge that we're going to gain, this is going to be a good thing. And so they choose not to trust God's boundary, and they take a bite, and all of these bad things happen, which kind of lead to, again, we're going to maybe, the, the depth of this will be con- maybe, maybe 
controversial, but I don't think this particular idea is, is that sin has consequence. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that that's particularly controversial, that when you do something is wrong, when you step outside of God's protection and his boundaries in your life, when you step outside of that, bad things are going to happen. And we see this in this passage immediately. And what we see happen to them, I don't think is unique to this situation. Because where does it begin? It begins with immediate shame. It begins with immediate shame. And so it's like the first thing that they see like, is that they notice that they are naked and they are ashamed of themselves. And it's not that their first reaction was, I shouldn't have eaten that. Their first reaction was, I, there is something wrong with me. I am bad. And all of a sudden you begin to doubt the very core idea that you are a unique, beautiful creation of God. I'm not a unique, beautiful creation of God. I'm not created in the image of God. I don't really matter. There is something gross and yucky and unvaluable about me. Now, the way that that shame plays out in your life versus someone else's life will be very different, but we all experience this in some way. This kind of, I'm never going to be good enough. There is something just deeply broken about me. And it's like, I, I, I do not matter. And so the first thing, their first instinct then is just to cover themselves up. They get these leaves and they just cover them. Like I, I've, I've got to be, I have to be covered. And then when God shows up, we see that go to the next level. They begin to hide from God. And so in addition to the shame and the coverings, like I've, got, I've got to hide. The, the damage has been done in the relationship with God. I don't want God to see me because if God saw me, uh, he would he would hate me. He would judge me. It's like the, there's there's a clear recognition on their part that they have done real damage to their relationship with God, but not just to their relationship with God, but their relationship to one another. God comes down. It's like what's going on? What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, we were naked and we. Can I just pause here for a second? I. I don't think of myself, I know I grew up in southern Arkansas, but I don't think of myself as a dude with a really rich southern accent until the word naked comes into play. <laughs> they were naked. <clears throat> it's like, who told you that? And what does Adam say to that? The woman you gave me, she did this to me. And then he looks at her and he's like, well, okay, what's going on here? It's, 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 it's the snake. I'm most troubled by Adam's response. Because immediate response was to blame the woman. So now there's brokenness in their relationship. And by extension, he very explicitly blames God. It is the woman that did this, the woman you gave me. She did this. You did this. And so we see this blame and division. And so from the very beginning, the world is full of shame and, 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 and fear and anxiety and blame and brokenness in relationships. And then we see from God explicit punishments, mostly around the multiplying of pain and toil in this world, both in work and in, in, in childbirth. And then ultimately ends with banishment, really just kind of, hey, you've got to get out. I had this good, perfect place for you where you could be protected. Now you are on your own and, you're, and they're cast out. 
And while this is a unique situation to them, it is not a unique situation to the human condition, to feel shame, to feel the need to hide, to have brokenness in your relationship with God, to have brokenness in your relationship with each other, and to, and, and to experience, again, a punishment from God. And, you know, it may be controversial, the idea of punishment may be controversial in parenting, right? That's not how we, we, we practice gentle parenting. We practice redirection. Great. You know, uh, consequences for crime, they're supposed to be rehabilitative, not punitive, right? That's kind of the thing. But there's, there's a point in which these examples, and, and it's fine to debate them, were these, rela- were these uh, metaphors with our relationship with God where they break down? And they break down because in a situation between a parent and a kid and between a society and a criminal, um, it's sinners v. sinners, right? But this is a sin against a holy, good, and perfect God. And that just levels things up a lot. And so the fact that a sin against a good and perfect and holy and very different God, creator, Lord, creator of the universe that that it has a punishment element to it, a banishment, a separation, a real consequence beyond just natural consequences, beyond just internal. We may wish that God were different than that. You may have in your head that God should be, be more of a buddy, a bro. Oh man, get him next time. But the reality of it is, this, this is the problem that we have. Um... And so what is, like, what can fix that? What can, fi- what can fix this problem? We've broken the world. We've damaged our relationships. We've damaged our relationship with God. What fixes that? Now, if you go to most world religions, in fact, part of me, I, I never want to say all because I might be thinking, might be missing something. But almost all world religions and even a lot of people's general understanding of this particular one, revolve around the idea of if you will just live now by a good moral code, then that will be fine. You've you've done some bad things, but here's a new moral code for you to live by. If you will follow these rules and do these things, then, then then, then, then we can fix the problem of the world. Now, if you were to follow a really good, healthy, God-driven moral code, maybe your life will be marginally better and maybe things will get marginally better, but it doesn't really do anything about the deepest consequences of what happened. The shame and the separation are not undone by doing something better, by just being a little bit nicer, to being kinder, to following certain religious practices, church attendance, giving, serving, some, some manner, whether it be a Christian version or a non-Christian version, some version of penance. This does not fix these problems. If we are going, these are the kinds of problems that require, and these are images that are used all throughout the scripture, things like resurrection, recreation, taking something old and making it new. The two primary images that are used in the Bible very often to describe the solution to this are taking something that is dead and making it alive and taking something old and making it new. And those are not something that any code can teach you. 
Those are things that are require that require God to do something. And even in the passage in Genesis chapter three, we see it because right before the statement where He kind of ushers them out, um, we have this in verse twenty one of Genesis chapter three. It says that the Lord made Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So they had covered up their nakedness with 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 leaves. Which was not going to be good. It's probably I mean, itchy, right? Itchy. Not, I mean, probably, you know, crumble. I mean, it wasn't going to last. It wasn't very effective. It wasn't very good. But he saw them in their shame. He saw them trying to cover their shame. And they didn't ask. They didn't ask him to do anything. But before he sends them out, he, he, he takes two animal skins and creates a much better clothing for them. And he clothes them. He, he takes this step to help them with their shame. Again, without being asked, he does this. And I think in this one simple act, we see a couple of things that I think are incredibly important for us to understand around the solution to this problem of the brokenness that we have brought to ourselves and to the world is that God is incredibly gracious and forgiveness requires sacrifice. Again, they didn't ask. They didn't ask, hey, can you help God? Can you help us with this? They didn't, they didn't, ask. They didn't ask. He saw them where they were. He saw the problem that they were having. And without being asked, takes the initiative to give them something that is good for them. I mean, God could have handled that a whole lot of different ways, right? He could have looked at it and been like, man, what you going to do with those leaves? Take those off. It doesn't matter that you're naked. Just get out of here and don't cover yourself with leaves. Which would have, we can all agree, taken human history in a completely different direction, right? Like, like, like what society would have been like if God had made that decision instead of that? It's not, it's not what he does, right? He could have done any night. He's like, well, good luck out there. You know, I get it. You're naked now. Do something about it. I get. He could. He could have left them to their own devices. He could have told them it was stupid to feel that way, but he met them where they were and offered a better solution. A solution from him. And in addition to that, we see that in order for him to do this, a couple of animals had to die, and he creates skins out of these animals. And we see from the very beginning this idea of the need for a sacrifice. Now, I don't know I, I, if you've been around here long, you know that I'm a pop culture guy. I like things that are kind of in geek culture, you know, Star Wars, Harry Potter, superhero stuff. If there's a, if there's a blockbuster movie out there that's getting overly hyped, I've, I have seen it. I'm totally into it. Especially you start having long enough, you have these series where there's just a whole bunch of movies and they start adding all these TV shows, right? And they have these things in them very often. And Marvel kind of took this to another level where at the, kind of at the very end of every movie, there'd be this like little nugget that they would put in there to kind of let you know like something's about to happen, what's about to happen in the next movie. And you watch it like, oh. <gasps> And if you know, then you're really excited. And if you don't know, you immediately in the theater pull out your phone and be like, what was that? Right? You don't, if, you, if you don't know. And I don't know. I don't know why you can't get good cell reception at Malco. I don't know. But you can't. And sometimes it's a struggle. But you've got to find out what's going on. And these things very often, they have, they'll have these like hidden clues at the end or sometimes even in the middle of the thing. And they're, and they're called Easter eggs. 
That's what they call them. They're Easter eggs. This idea that there's a hidden clue. And we've talked about this, that this story of Genesis, uh, that when it was written down into this form, was for the people coming out of the Exodus, who have lived out of, who have been in slavery, now being taken to the promised land. And God is recreating them into being his people and taking them back to, to the land that he promised them, that Abraham had had before. And I'm telling you, that they, they would have caught this pretty quick from the very beginning. Like they, all the, now all the animal sacrifices that are coming later that they're talking about with in, 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 in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and all these things is like, you see it from the very beginning. That from the very beginning, in order for God to kind of make things right, he establishes this precedent of the necessity of a sacrifice. And so then for them... The sacrifices that, 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 that are required of them in the, in the practicing of their religion, it becomes very like, oh, this, this has always been in there. And if it's an Easter egg for them, and somebody said this first service, and it's, it's even too punny, even for me, but I'll say it anyway because it was so clever. For us, for them, it was an Easter egg. For us, it was an Easter Easter egg. See? See, I don't know. That's why it's kind of offensive. I'm like, high five to you, but I don't know how I feel. It makes my tummy hurt a little bit. That this idea of sacrifice and the need for atonement in this way has always been there. It is something that God established from the very, very beginning. That in order for there to be true forgiveness between you down here and God up here, there requires a sacrifice. And probably a better way of saying it is what, was what, well, you know, what God said to them in the very beginning. If you do this, you will die. The depths and richness of what death meant in that moment are really kind of unfolding. I mean, just kind of the, the spiritual death, the ultimate physical death, an eternal separation from the, from the fellowship that you can have with God. I mean, all these things are kind of parts of this definition of death. It's like death is the consequence. And so God brings in here with this thing. I'm going to show you it's, it's death. And so these animals die. And then in the, in, in the sacrificial system, and it is very normal. And I don't think to say it is wrong to when you think about the sacrificial system to think it's barbaric, primitive. Because there really is a big part of me that thinks that there's a sense in which that was kind of the point. Can you imagine? Like you're 50th in line on um, sacrifice day and you've got your, you've got your, you got your cow. And, and, and what does that altar look like? What does the priest look like? What does his knife look like? I would imagine it, is, it was a bloody, disgusting mess. And I think that there is a sense in which that a meditation and a reflection on that is meant to draw us to the idea that a sin against this good God has a level of consequence beyond just simply it kind of, it's kind of made me feel things. It has done real damage, and, and God has established this from the beginning. Death is the consequence. Death is the ultimate consequence. And so he symbolizes that in the animal skins. It symbolizes it even further in, in the animal sacrifices. Fast forward, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So death, death is your consequence. Death is a price that has to be paid. And God watching us metaphorically walk out of the garden says, I don't want them to be the one that has to pay it. And so without us asking, he graciously sends his son Jesus Christ to die for us. You continue on in that same passage, Paul's going to make some very specific connections to this story that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Kind of describes it here like a first domino. Very first domino. This is what Adam did. And because of that, death and sin have spread everywhere. Verse 15, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So many died because of the trespass of this one man. Death spread everywhere. And the gift, even more so, this life, this gift, this grace that comes from God is meant to spread to many. God does not look at you walking out of his garden full of shame and think, good luck. Without us asking, he made the sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus volunteered for this. He decided, Philippians 2 says it, he decided that staying, he he couldn't handle just being up here. But he emptied himself so that he could give his life for yours. You becoming new, you becoming remade, you being given new life, that is the answer to the problem. It's not just simply, hey guys, let's go do better. I'm not saying you shouldn't go out and do better. Because in fact, this is where this series is building from here. If all of this is true, who has God called us to be? What has God called us to do? And can we reclaim some of these vital things that we need to do to maintain a great relationship with God and bring hope to our world? There's some things in there that we need to reclaim, but let's not, let's not, confuse, the, let's not confuse these things. It is not us collectively deciding to do better that brings hope and life to this world. It begins with a recognition of the seriousness of the consequence of what we've done, of what we've done, and asking Jesus to take on something that we no longer have to take on ourselves. He takes the shame, he takes the guilt, he takes the separation, he takes all of that, he takes all of that consequence on himself. And he says, if we will put our faith and trust in him, in that thing that he did for us then we can be renewed and we can be restored back to principle number one where we can experience life with a good God who loves you. And this whole thing, this whole idea of what Jesus did is built on that. He didn't just watch you leave. 
He didn't just kick you out and say, good luck. He didn't just kick you out and say, sinners. From the very beginning, his heart was like, they have broken this and I want them back and I'll do the work. If they will just believe and turn their heart to me. God is incredibly gracious. There's nothing you're having to earn here. There's nothing you're having to work for. It is just simply a recognition of work that God has already done and saying you want to make it yours. And for some of you, this is, this is new information. Maybe not new, but it is still foreign information a little bit. Maybe you've come here so that we could learn a collective moral code that we could go out there and take and go be a moral people and make the world better. Maybe that's why you're here, but you don't understand that that's the next step. The first step is you reconciling with God, being made new, being given new life through Jesus Christ. If you've never taken that first step, please do it. Just very simply, just pour your heart out to God and say, God, I want that for me. I want new life. I want forgiveness. I want what your son offers me through his death on the cross. And God will make you new. But it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, I think it is of overwhelming importance for us not to forget how critically important this first step is and how important our understanding of the gospel is and how important it is to understand and to, re- and to, and to recall and to, and, and to reflect and to worship around the idea of a good God who is full of grace that in our worst moments made the sacrifice himself. So as we worship, we've got responses in the back where you can pray and you can take communion. People can pray for you. As we worship, as we pray, as we reflect, let's spend some time celebrating and thanking God for the incredible gracious gift of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son. And God, I thank you for this story, this creation story. That even though so many of us grew up learning the facts and the details of this story, God, we missed out on some of the richness of it. God, what you're trying to communicate to us about you, about the seriousness of sin, but also about your gracious forgiveness. And so God, I pray that we would not undersell the seriousness of sin, that we would recognize the real deep, broken, separating consequences that come from sin. But God, that we would also not undersell your grace and your goodness and your capacity to forgive and to take that consequence upon yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that for those of us who this is new to God, that we would, that we would believe. And for God, those of us who are hearing this again, 
that you would strengthen that foundation in our faith life. That our whole life and everything that we are will be built around these very simple gospel principles. And that upon that, we would build the lives, God, that you've called us to. And we're so thankful that all this is possible through your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.